0: Hebrews four, twelve and 13, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give an account. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you. Really glad you're here. Uh, These verses that Tim just read for us teach that the Bible has the power to transform your life. The Bible has the power to transform your life. The novelist Franz Kafka once said this about reading. If the book we are reading does not wake us, as with a fist hammering on our skull, why then do we read it? A book must be like an ice axe to break the frozen sea within us. Some of you are like, God, oh, Luke, can I just read John Grisham? And not have to have like the frozen sea with me broken? Okay, fine. Read some popcorn stuff, that's fine. But when you read something powerful and stunning, uh, the intent of that book is to, it's to change you. I, I wonder if the book, the Bible, has ever, as Kafka said, broken the frozen sea inside you. I have a good friend who uh, many years ago when he was a college student at TCU was an agnostic, didn't believe in God and didn't believe in the Bible. In fact, he thought the Bible was a bunch of hocus pocus and uh, could be discarded by any intellectual or sophisticated person. And, And he made this known to his roommate who was a Christian. And his roommate, instead of trying to get into a big argument or debate with him, just challenged him. It's like, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you read the Bible? You, you seem to have strong opinions about it. Why don't you spend some time reading it? I'd encourage you to start with maybe the Gospel of Mark. And so my friend Josh began to read the Gospel of Mark. And 25 years later, he's a pastor in our denomination in Southern California. As he encountered the Bible really trying to disprove the Bible, trying to confirm his own biases against the Bible, the Bible changed him. God met him through the scripture. The Bible is powerful. The Bible is powerful because it's God's word. And this morning, friends, God wants to wake us up. He wants to wake us up as we encounter him through the scripture. That's our theme today. So before we jump into these two verses, let's synthesize what we've seen in Hebrews so far, okay? When we study books verse by verse, chapter by chapter, I think it's valuable to just kind of remind ourselves of where we are in the big flow of things uh, in this book. So let's take a step back for a second. Uh, The main idea of the past few weeks has been that God desires for us to enter his rest. Uh, The peaceful, present, and future life... That he offers us through the gift of himself. And we saw last time that we enter God's rest by faith. Verse 2 of chapter 4, excuse me, verse 3. We who have believed enter that rest. Hebrews has also taught us that in order to believe, we have to hear We have to hear God's word. That's what Israel refused to do thousands of years ago in the wilderness. That's what verse 2 is about in chapter 4. Good news came to us just as to them, them being the Israelites. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then finally, we've seen that Hebrews tells us again and again that we have to be diligent Diligent to continue to listen, to continue to believe in the gospel preached to us. That is a a front-burner issue in Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Chapter 3, verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Chapter 3, verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So that's the argument that this author has been making. And so now we're prepared to see where verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4 fit into the larger scope of the book. Okay, because entering God's rest depends on our believing God's word to us. We need to understand something about the nature of his word. And that's what these verses do. So let's look at these verses this morning in two simple ways. I want to show you what the Word of God is and what the Word of God does. Okay, so first, what the Word of God is. You'll look there in verse 12 and see the Word of God. That word translated word is a Greek word. The Greek word is logos. And interestingly enough, that is the same word used elsewhere in the Bible, most prominently the Gospel of John, chapter 1, to refer to Jesus. When John says, in the beginning was the word, he's referring to Jesus Christ. But in this context, that word, word, refers to God's revelation of himself through the scriptures, which are the inspired and and authoritative disclosure of of who God is, and what God is doing in the world. We can tie this idea with what the author said at the very beginning of Hebrews. Remember, back in Hebrews 1, 1, and 2, he said that God has spoken finally and fully to us in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus, and in the work of Jesus. But now he's saying we access... We access God's final word in Jesus through God's spoken, written word in the scriptures. The scriptures testify to the world about who Jesus is and about why Jesus came. So when you read the word word here, think Bible, think scripture. So, what is the word of God? How are we to think about the Bible? The most important thing to understand about the Bible is what the author tells us. It is the word of God. It is sourced in God. God is the primary author of all the scriptures. That's why the Apostle Paul in another part of the Bible, when he's writing to Timothy, his protege, in 2 Timothy 3, he says of the Bible, all of the Bible is breathed out by God. That's another way of saying, a very visible way of saying that the Bible ultimately comes from God. And that's why it has the authority and the power that it has. So we're to think of God's word in the scripture as the most powerful, or excuse me, as, as the same powerful word that God spoke when he, when he formed this universe. I mean, remember the very first thing we see in the Bible? And God said let there be light and boom, something comes out of nothing. In this case, light. God's spoken word has creative power. By his word, he made everything that exists. Psalm 33 says of God's creative word, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So the Bible, the word of God is just that. It is God's word. It comes from him. He is its ultimate author. Then the author of Hebrews uses two really cool words here to describe the word of God further. So look with me. Verse 12, he calls it living and active. So God's word is like God himself in this way. It has a a vigor, a potency, a, a dynamism to it. Isaiah records God as saying this in chapter 55, my word will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when the author of Hebrews says that God's word is living and active, part of what he means is that it accomplishes what it sets out to do, just as God, the author of his word, accomplishes all that he sets out to do. The scripture has a divine power behind it. It's presented here as something that is bursting with energy. That's the meaning of that word active. It's the word energy. So listen, if this is true, if the Bible really has this kind of active living power, then our reading of it must have the power to transform us. Remember the Kafka quote, a book is an ice axe to break the frozen sea within us. The Bible is uniquely this way. Because in reading the Bible, we uniquely encounter the living God. Let me say that again, because that's one of the key insights I want you to take home today. In reading the Bible, you encounter God. Reading the Bible... Is a participatory experience. It's a participatory experience. Listen to what the great theologian Eugene Peterson once wrote. You can follow along, it's projected behind me. Quote, This may be the single most important thing to know as we come to read and study and believe the scriptures. The rich. Alive, personally revealing God as experienced in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is personally addressing us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, at whatever age we are, in whatever state we are. Me, you, us. Christian reading. Is participatory reading, receiving the words in such a way that they become interior to our lives. The rhythms and images becoming practices of prayer, acts of obedience, ways of love. Reading the Bible is a participatory experience. It's a way in which you encounter the living God. You know, there's multiple times in the Bible, at least three times, in which God tells one of his servants to eat it, to eat the book. He tells that to Jeremiah. He says that to Daniel. And then in the very end of the Bible, in Revelation, God gives this little scroll to John as he's on the island of Patmos. And in Revelation 10, John says this, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. God uses that Well, in that case, literal analogy, but for us, a metaphor because he wants us to hear that the Bible's intended to be something that we ingest, that we take in, that becomes a part of us as we participate with God through reading it. So, have you ever engaged the Bible in that way? You who've been around the church for years, you who know your Bibles, I'm asking you this. Have you engaged God in the Bible that fully and that personally, have you encountered God through his living and and active word? It's really possible. In fact, it's maybe more likely in your life than not to read the Bible but not experience what Eugene Peterson described in that quote I just read. Um, and, And the reason that this happens in our lives is because we have subconsciously, most likely, devised all manner of ways of reading the Bible, but in the act of reading the Bible, keeping our distance from God. We can read the Bible and keep God at arm's length. We can read the Bible and not ever really participate in the life of Father, Son, and Spirit. So how do we do that? You maybe can think of some ways. I've got a couple of ways that I think we do that. One way you can encounter and read the Bible without encountering God is when you read the Bible only intellectually. Now, if you have a curious mind, if you're a thoughtful person, if you like to study things, you can hardly do better than become a scholar of the Bible. I mean, there are a staggering number of books about the Bible. You could spend a lifetime reading about its languages and its cultures, about its history, its ideas, its geography, its poetry, and never exhaust it. And I think something that some of us, particularly in our tradition in the church, love to do is think about the Bible and study the Bible and read books about the book and read theology about the Bible and become experts in the Bible and yet never really meet God in the Bible. Because we're only reading it intellectually. We can also keep God at arm's length, stiff arm God, when we read the Bible, only practically. Let me try to explain that. You want to live well, right? You want to have your children live well. So you'll read the Bible to get good counsel. To get trustworthy advice and and direction for life in this world. And the Bible can do that. It can keep us on the straight and narrow, we think, if we just do what it says. To, To have good children and to have a healthy and full life. The Bible's the best manual. We can come up with. Maybe that's how you read the Bible. You think of it as a way to you know, fill in some of the gaps of your understanding of how to order and structure your life, your morality, your relationships. Another way we can stiff arm God in reading the Bible is when we read it only for inspiration. Uh, there are so many beautiful and, and comforting and inspiring passages in the Bible without question. And so when we're lonely or when we're grieving, what better place to go than Psalm 23, than all these wonderful, famous Bible passages? Listen, none of those reasons for reading the Bible are bad. In fact, I think they're all good. But they're not the main reason to read the Bible. None of them. And if you read the Bible only in these ways, you can easily actually miss God. You see, what this can be is, is us using the Bible for our purposes, and those purposes might not necessarily require anything of you or of me relationally. It's entirely possible to come to the Bible in total sincerity, responding to the intellectual challenge it gives you, or, or for the moral guidance that it offers, or for the spiritual uplift it provides, And not in any way have to deal with a personal God who has personal intentions on your life right now. This is kind of like what happened to the Israelites. They heard the message. They could have told you about the stories and about the theology. But it didn't benefit them, we've seen, because they didn't encounter God in faith. What's the word of God? It's not just a textbook for you to master. It's not just a moral guide for you to follow. It's not just an inspirational story for you to be encouraged by. What the Bible is, is a sharp, two-edged sword that displays to you and for you the living and active God. Who speaks and summons and calls and pleads with you now here personally. Do you see the Bible that way? That's what it is. Let's look secondly at what the Word of God does. One of the things that I've said repeatedly since we started Christ Church is that the Bible reads you more than you read it. The Bible reads you more than you read it. And there's no better single verse in the Bible to explain what I mean by that than Hebrews 4.12. Look at what the author says the Bible does. As a sword with no blunt edge, he writes, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, just totally honest. Do you realize what a crazy thing that is to say about a book? That is a crazy thing to say. That's a radical thing to say about a book. The book discerns our hearts. The book is able to cut to the very core of us and see everything that lies beneath our exterior. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you're asking them about advice or seeking counsel from them about something going on in your life and as you're talking with them and as you're listening to their response, it seems like they know you better than you know yourself. You're like, yes, Luke, every time I talk to you, that's how I feel. I know that's not true. Uh, We've had conversations. I've had conversations with, with people like that where I'm like, man, this person is reading my mail. They get me better than I get me. That's what the Bible is doing when we engage it, when we read it. How can the author of Hebrews say this about the Bible? Well, he tells us. The reason he can say that is because it is God who is behind the Bible. When we encounter the Bible, we're encountering God. And God, through the scripture, is speaking to us. He's examining us, in fact. He's discerning us as we read and listen to him there. That's what verse 13 means. Did you notice that in verse 12, he's talking about the Bible, but in verse 13, the personal pronoun there is not it, it is he. He subtly shifts us from thinking about the word of God, the scriptures, to God himself. And he says, no creature is hidden from his, God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When we're reading the Bible, when we're encountering God there, we are being known by him. Hebrews 4.13 reminds me of Psalm 139. Very famous Psalm. As I read it, you'll probably be familiar with it. Here's what David writes. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, the light about me be as night. Even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. What does the Bible do? The Bible exposes us. The Bible exposes us. It illuminates who we are. It reminds us that we cannot hide from God. That's another radical statement. Nothing could be more inaccessible. Nothing can be more intangible than the deepest motives and notions and intentions in my heart. That are concealed deep inside of me. No scalpel can dissect into those. No CAT scan can discover those. Only God, in his word, can pierce through to the intangible part of me and the intangible part of you. And only God does so in a manner that's both dynamic and critical. John Calvin wrote this, There is nothing so hard or firm in a man, nothing so deeply hidden that the efficacy of the word does not penetrate through to it. You cannot hide from God. And as you encounter him in his word, he is exposing you to him and to yourself. You may be able to hide from your spouse. You may be able to hide from your children. You may be able to hide from your parents. You may be able to hide from your friends, your elders, your pastor. But you cannot and I cannot hide from God. What do you think about that? How does that make you want to respond? You know, that's pretty terrifying. Honestly, isn't it? That can be a pretty terrifying terrifying prospect. There's few scarier doctrines than the omnipresence of God. You know, I've heard there's many who have a recurring dream, a recurring nightmare, that they have to get up in front of their class and make a presentation, or in front of their company or organization and give a report, and that they're completely naked the whole time. They can't find their drawers anywhere. They can't get away. They're exposed. They're vulnerable. Everyone knows them. If you have that nightmare, uh, you should consult some therapy probably. But the nightmare makes the point that this text is making. God knows. We're open to him. That's the reality with him. We're exposed. We're naked. The Bible shows us that. The Bible opens us up to God and it opens us up to know that we are open to God. So, yeah, that can be scary. But just totally honestly, friends, it, it can be terrifying for those of us who are hiding or who think we're hiding. It can be terrifying for those of us who just refuse to come clean. It, it can be terrifying for those of us who are, in many ways, like Israel was, who refuse to listen. Is that you today? Is that you? Are you unwilling to repent? Are you, are you hiding secret sin, secret identity, secret bitterness? Deep down, are you full of hatred? Deep, deep down in the recesses where no one can see except God, are you, are you full of lust, full of unbelief, full of lies, You can't hide that from God. You will have to give an account to him. But, but on the other hand, this exposing work of encountering God in the Bible is the way to renewal. This exposing work of encountering God in the Bible is the way to salvation. It's the way to enter God's rest. How does that work? Well, when you read the scripture, and when you encounter God there, and when his word powerfully and actively pierces you and cuts you to the heart, he invites you into a next step. And the next step is to confess who you really are and then rest in Jesus Christ. After all, that's what the Bible is about, friends. God's word does not only have to be a sword that destroys you. It can be a scalpel that heals you. Remember, uh, in the Bible itself, there's a story about this. In in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, under the inspiration of God's spirit, gets up and preaches this incredible sermon, and it's recorded for us in the Bible. And and people hear his sermon, and, and in response, the author of Acts, Luke, tells us, This, he says, that they were cut. Cut to the heart. And they responded to the piercing, penetrating activity of God in and through the scripture in faith and in repentance, which leads to life. And hopefully, hearing the Bible today, reading the Bible today will do that in your life. Hopefully, it will expose you as a sinner, as a rebel, as someone who is, in fact, guilty before God. It exposes me as a fraud, as a pretender, as a failure. But the Bible also exposes you and exposes me to a God who loves you. It exposes you to what we'll see next week, our great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Who shed his blood to forgive us. Whom we can draw near to with confidence. Who loves to show us mercy in time of need. The Bible exposes you to a father who deals gently with wayward children. When you come to the Bible, even when it is hard, you're always invited to come to God in the riches of his mercy for you in Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of how he works. Henri Nouwen. One of my favorite spiritual directors wrote this in one of his books. We stand in the presence of God with all we have and are. Our fears and anxieties, our guilt and shame, our sexual fantasies, our greed and anger, our joys, successes, aspirations and hopes, our reflections, dreams and mental wandering, and most of all, our people, family, friends and enemies. In short, all that makes us who we are. We have to allow God to speak to us in every corner of our being. This is very hard because we are so fearful and insecure that we keep hiding ourselves from God. We tend to present to God only those parts of ourselves with which we feel relatively comfortable and which we think will evoke a positive response. Is that what you do with God? Hebrews asks you to consider the fact that you're not really hiding, that he knows you. And that you can bring your most vulnerable parts of life, your most shameful parts of life, your most guilty parts of life into his presence and receive healing and receive forgiveness through the gospel. God calls us to himself. He calls us to himself in the fullness of who we are. <laughs> Taking in faith the fullness of who Jesus is for us. That we might have life. That's what his word is doing. Will you respond to him today? Let's pray.